Let's get started. My name is Kotz. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm here to uh, give you today's message. And we are in the middle of a series called From the Inside. And basically, this is the last section of the book of Acts. And uh, I want to start off with this story. And uh, maybe you've heard people share this story. And maybe this is a story about you. Uh, uh, this is not a story. I'm not sharing this story because I know your story. I'm sharing this story because it might be your story. Um, but I do know people who actually have this story, which is this, okay? So um, uh, it's a friend of mine, long time ago, and uh, we're still friends, although I don't see him as much anymore, but he used to go to church all the time. He was on the worship team, not at this church, and um, he had some rough patches in his life, and eventually he got to the point where he was like, you know, I'm done. Christianity, goodbye, bye-bye. I, I don't want any part of this. He stopped coming to church. Uh, he um, was really bitter with the church, and then after he stopped going to church, I thought he would say something like, hey, Kotz, you know, it's been a while since I've been to church, and oh, I just miss it, I need to come back. That was not what he told me. He said, Kotz, it feels like this huge weight just came off my shoulders. Like, I feel like a better human being for not being at church. As a matter of fact, you know, before I felt like, you know, I had to, I had to pray, I had to give, I had to sing, I had to do all these things. I had to seem like I was interested in what you were saying or, you know, right? And now I don't have to do that and I feel so much better. To which I thought, and I didn't say this out loud, but what I thought was, like, are we that much of a burden on the people who attend church? Like, have we gotten something wrong? I mean, Jesus did say that, that the church... Christianity, following Jesus, is supposed to be a light yoke on their shoulders. It's not supposed to weigh you down. So, and you know, he didn't go to the church I went to. He went to a separate church. So I'm like, I wonder what they're teaching him there. Or maybe the message is not the problem. Maybe it's the church culture. I, yeah, I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, and so I thought we'd talk about that today because um, it's addressed a little bit in today's passage. So the question I want to start off with is this. Has Christianity become a form of bondage to you? Like if, you know, you can't say it out loud at church because you might offend me, right? But you know, behind closed doors, is this, is this what you're feeling? Like, oh, it's Sunday morning, next week we lose an hour and I just don't think I could, you know, like what, do I have to go to church? Oh, look at, you know, I have to serve, you know, I have to, you know, I have to wake up extra early to set up this stuff and oh, today I'm on the AV team, I'm on the worship team, I'm on the prayer team. Like, does it feel like a burden to you? Has church become a weight on your shoulders? Has Christianity, has following Jesus, is it something that you're like, I don't know if I wanna do this anymore? So, and there's several reasons, and I'm sure if I listened to your story, I'd be like in agreement with you, like yeah, totally, Christianity has weighed you down. But today I wanna go over one possible reason why we see our faith as a burden. And in order to do that, we're gonna be looking at Acts chapter 26, verses 22 to 29, which for the past few weeks have been going like chapter by chapter. Today we're gonna to slow down and just look at 22 through 29, so you don't have to be flipping through your pages. Uh, if you missed us for the past few weeks, here's a quick recap. There's a guy named Paul, and Paul has been going around the world sharing the message of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the acceptance of Jesus for who they are. Basically his message is you don't have to change to be accepted by Jesus. You just, you're, the way you are is probably the way that God created you. And you don't have to follow all the rules that we've been following as Jews in the Old Testament. You just come to Jesus as you are and God will start to transform you from the inside. But like, it's a message of acceptance, right? But that message got him in trouble with the Jews, the, the, the group that he used to be a part of. And so he was sent to, like they wanted him in jail, they wanted him dead. And one way he, averted that was by basically 
He's like, I want a fair trial. I'm a Roman citizen. So he ended up in chains, and he went to Governor Festus's place. Or he didn't just go there. Like he's like, I'm gonna go there today. He was arrested, and he was taken there for a trial by Governor Festus. Now, something about Governor Festus. He's new on the job. It's like his first week on the job. Before him, there's a another governor, Governor Felix. And because Festus is new on the job, he's like, so wait a minute, I oversee this whole area of all these Jews. I don't know the first thing about Jews. Like, uh, what do they do? What are these holidays that they celebrate? What, like, is, I saw some Jews doing some things over there. Is that normal in this culture, right? So when Paul stands in front of him and says, here are the reasons why I think I'm arrested, I didn't think I did anything wrong. I just believe that there's this man who was dead is now back to life and he just calls me to love people unconditionally and for some reason that got me here and that's why I'm in chains right now. So Paul is explaining to Festus what happened, okay? And the whole time Festus is like scratching his head like, I don't get it, like I don't think he did anything wrong but maybe in your culture that's a wrong thing, I, I don't know. And then all of a sudden here's a knock on the door is this guy, King Agrippa II. He's the king of the Jews at the time, okay? And he's like, this is great. Now, Agrippa was visiting because there's a new governor in town. He's like, hey, I'd like to meet you and I want to get to know you. Let's you know, have an understanding. So he's like, I'm so glad you're here, Agrippa, because I have some questions about Jewish customs. I, I, like, can you please tell me why this man, Paul, is in chains right now? It seems like he's been in chains here at the governor's palace for two years now, and I just can't figure out what's wrong. So uh, Paul is explaining his story to Festus, and Festus is like, okay, stop. I need you to tell this story to Agrippa. So now, next slide, he's talking to Agrippa. And so now, now Paul, knowing that Agrippa is Jewish, he's able to use Jewish terminology. He doesn't have to explain himself every few seconds, right? So he starts speaking in Jewish um, cultural terms that he knows that he'll understand where Festus wouldn't understand. So he's... Basically, he's like, now I can speak to somebody without filters because you're Jewish. I, you, know, you know my story, right? So he starts sharing, and this is a part of that testimony he gives to um, King Agrippa. So he says, so this is the reason why I'm standing here. I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses would uh, said would happen. It's like, you know, you're a Jew, so you understand. You read the Old Testament. You know that there's prophets and there's Moses and there's all these writings in the Old Testament that prophesied of a thing called the resurrection. And I happened to meet the guy who died and rose from the grave, right, Jesus, and he told me to go and spread the love of Christ to everybody. Like, you know, now, from Festus's perspective, that's like, that's gibberish, right? But to Agrippa, he understands, like, oh yeah, the prophets, oh yeah, Moses, I know these characters. And, and this is the message. Next slide, here we go. That the Messiah would suffer and the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So he's like, yeah, you remember those prophecies in the Old Testament that said that there'll be a dead guy that's gonna come back to life? I met him, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He, that's the guy right now. Remember, he's talking to King Agrippa. Festus is in the background, but he's listening. So Festus overhears the part where he says, yeah, he, he, this guy named Jesus rose from the grave. And at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, right? He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. Like you're local, like you're crazy. Like you think a dead person came back to life, right? So next diagram, okay. So he was talking to King Agrippa, right? Because this is his time to talk to him amongst Jewish bros, right? But now, next slide, Governor Festus interrupts 
And he's like, whoa, time out, 20-second 20, 20 TL, right? I, let me just say this. You're a very smart man. I know, because I've seen you talk, and I see you um, uh, debate other people. But your smartness has made you crazy. Like, like the word right there in the Greek, because New Testament is written in Greek, is, is the word mania, where we get the word maniac. Like, he's like, you are a, you're a maniac. You're crazy. And so Paul needs to defend himself now to the person who doesn't really understand Jewish culture. So he says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. This thing that you call nonsense, your excellency, it makes sense to majority of the people that you are ruling over right now. You are the governor of Israel, and majority of people in Israel thinks that what I just said makes sense. The only reason you don't understand where I stand right now in this whole story is because you don't understand our story, right? So he says that in really eloquent words. He says the king, he's talking about Agrippa, is familiar with these things. Like, oh, Festus, governor, the king that's here with us right now, he thinks I'm normal. He thinks I'm sane. This makes sense to him. I know it doesn't make sense to you, but it makes sense to him. And I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Okay, so let's look at the diagram again. So now he's trying to talk to Governor Festus. Like, he's like, you clearly don't know the people that you're ruling over. If you did, right, you would be like, like, if you think that I'm crazy, then you're basically saying all of Israel is crazy, right? And you know what? You should go and talk to all the Jews, and you're going to find out that we all think this is reasonable and that this is true. As a matter of fact, because you can't talk to all the Jews, you should talk to the representative of the Jews, which is King Agrippa II. So why don't you go ahead and ask him, right? So next slide. So we turn to King Agrippa, right? And he says this. What we just saw happen, King Agrippa here will testify, was not done in a corner. Not done in a corner. That's what he says. What does that mean? It means that everything that I'm just sharing with you right now is public knowledge. Public knowledge. So the idea that somebody would die and rise from the grave didn't happen in some corner of, of somebody's house. It was done out in the open, right? So here's a little quote from a, um, a New Testament scholar, Clinton Arnold. He says this, Paul is stressing that the central events of what he proclaims, namely the public ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about. Next slide. It did not take place in some faraway land or even in a set of private visionary experiences. He's like, this is not a hallucination. It's not like Paul was like drinking something or smoking something and then all of a sudden he's like, dude, I just saw Jesus, right? He, I know he died a few weeks ago, but he's alive right now. No, he's like, no, collectively, communities, large groups of people are like, I saw Jesus walking the streets of Jerusalem. You saw it too? Yeah, we saw it too. We saw it together. There's a group of people who are like, we had a barbecue with them on the shores of, of Galilee. Like, there's people who are saying, like, this is not a fairy tale. This is the stuff that's been prophesied for centuries. As a matter of fact, the guy Paul that we're talking about here, he wrote this letter called the book of 1 Corinthians. In the 15th chapter, he basically says, did you know there's over 500 people who actually witnessed Jesus walking around the streets of Jerusalem after he was supposed to supposedly killed or, you know, like, and he even lists some names. These people are like, this happened 22 years ago from this story. And he says, some of those people are still alive. Those witnesses are still alive. Go ahead and talk to them. And he lists some names in 1 Corinthians 15, right? So he's like, this isn't some hallucination. This isn't some thing that happened in private, or this isn't even based on rumor. This stuff actually happened in public. 
right? And then he's, uh, Clinton Arnold says this, they happened in Jerusalem itself and involved Jewish and Roman leaders of the nation. What he's saying here is interesting. He says, I understand that there's these different sets of rules for Jews and Romans. In the Jews, Jewish world, there's a certain way that they verify truth, right? In the Roman world, they have their set of rules that they use to verify truth. And he said, so in some cases, the Jews might say, this is true, but then the Romans will say, yeah, according to your sense, like common sense, but to us, it doesn't make sense, right? What he's saying here is, in both cases, they both agree that Jesus was once dead and is now alive. And it's public knowledge. Oh, great, Festus, right? So Paul is making a case here saying, all this stuff that happened in Jerusalem 22 years ago, it actually happened. And not only that, not only did it just happen, it was actually prophesied in the Old Testament by Moses and also the prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, and, right, all those people. So, okay, this is where it gets really interesting because, you know, that was really interesting. This is super interesting. Okay, so at this point, Paul turns to Agrippa and asks him a question that you'll see what he's trying to do. Paul's very smart. This is what he says. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Do you believe the, thing, the, the things that are written in the Old Testament? Do you believe these things? And then he kind of nudges him and says, because, you know, I know you do, right? Now, what is he trying to do here? Paul, what Paul is doing here is like, like you, you're going to find out all the cogs in his brain were like turning really fast and he came up with this question. This is what is happening. He says, Agrippa's standing with the Jews and the Romans is now on the line. If Agrippa, if he asked Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. What he's saying is this. If Agrippa were to say, no, I don't believe in, you know, all that stuff in the Old Testament, then what he's doing is he's betraying his people. The Jews, who 99.9% of the people believe in the prophets, they're like, you're not our king. You don't believe in the stuff that we believe in, right? But if he says, yes, I do believe in the things in the, that's written in the Old Testament, all the prophecies, then King Agrippa would be like, uh, Festus would say, well, then you're crazy as Paul. And so he loses his standing with either side, no matter how he answers this question. Are you guys following what I'm trying to do here? Paul is this, he's like, I'm gonna put you in a position where there is no good answer, right? And he right, he says this, the life Agrippa led has been a clever writing of both horses, the Jewish one and the pagan one, and he doesn't really want to give either of them up. His whole life he's been living like, today I'm gonna act like a Jew, tomorrow I'm gonna act like a Roman, and then go back and forth depending on whatever suits him the best, right? Paul, here in the story, is forcing him to choose one, and when he chooses one, he will lose. He's been put in this weird position. So, diagram again, here we go. Okay, so, Paul is in the one in chains in the story. But what Paul just did was remind him, next slide, that it's actually King Agrippa that's in chains. Because no matter how he answers this question, he loses. Paul reveals that the one in chains is actually Agrippa. If I answer yes, like if he says, yes, I believe in the prophets, the Jews will say, yeah, you are our king. But I don't know if you know this about Agrippa. He got his office as king because the Roman Caesar, right? Caesar was like, hey, Agrippa, I need somebody I could trust to be the king of the Jews. I'm going to appoint you. So he might be... Re accepted by the Jews, but the Romans will be like, but he's too crazy to govern them, so we can't leave him in that position. If he says, I do believe, um, I don't believe in the resurrection, the Romans will be happy, but the, there'll be a big revolt from the Jews because they're like, you're not one of us, right? So he's like, either way, he loses his job. 
So Paul is pushing them to the corner and revealing the fact that, you know what? You have your job, you have your life because of public opinion. As long as you can please both sides, you have your job, you have your lifestyle. However, if you displease either one, your life is over. It's like, you are in a really tight spot. You think I'm in chains? No, you're the one in chains, right? So here's an illustration of what's happening. The Jewish and the Roman culture at the time were always in conflict because the Romans took over the Jewish land, right? And so they shouldn't get along, but they put somebody in charge that will allow them to get along. So the king is writing both sides. He's playing both sides. And now Paul asks him a question that puts him in a no-win situation. And you know how Agrippa responds? Do you think he says, yes, I believe the prophets? No, I do not believe in the prophets? Oh no, he's trying to get to the question that Paul is asking underneath. This is what Agrippa says, says to Paul. Do you think that in such a short time, you can persuade me to be a Christian? Excuse me, we asked a yes or no question. He asks a question to answer the question, like what is he doing here, right? In this question that Agrippa asks, he's revealing his assumptions about Christianity, okay? Now, I know this is getting really heady. Hang with me a few more minutes and it'll make sense, okay? This is what Agrippa thinks is happening here. So over here, we have this third block, next slide, there we go, called Christianity, okay, Christian. He thinks what, uh, what Paul is asking him to do is this, right? Right now you're riding the Jewish and Roman train. I want you to abandon that, next slide. And I want you to move over to here. This in Christianity, in some churches, we call this conversion, right? Give up what you're believing right now and start believing in this thing called Jesus, right? Switch over, switch teams, switch trains, switch horses, whatever you want to call it. Trash the old, join the new. But do you think when Paul said, hey, um, do you believe in the prophets? Do you think that was him trying to say, hey, you should join Christianity? Like, it's a huge jump to say that, right? But this is what he thought was being asked. He's saying, whenever you're with the Jews, you, you pretend like you're a Jew. And when you're with the Romans, you pretend like you're a Roman. And now you're giving me a third option, Paul. So are you asking me to be a Christian today because, you know, it's safe here when those two are in danger. Like, is that what you're asking me to do? The answer is no. This is not what Paul is trying to communicate. He's not trying to convert Agrippa into being a Christian. So, in case I'm losing all of you guys because this is really heady, okay, I, I wanna try to clarify by giving you some examples. Okay, so I call this the silo of identity. So, I see this happen in youth all the time, okay? So you have the life, like your family life. There's a certain way that you behave with your parents, right? So when I'm with my family, my identity is here. I am gonna act like the person that my parents expect me to be. And, but when I'm at school, I'm gonna act like how my friends want me to act because that's how I'm accepted into a group, right? I don't wanna be alone by myself, so when I'm with my family, I'm gonna act as they want me to act. When I'm with my friends, I'm gonna act like what they want me to act. If you have a job, like that's, my coworkers expect me to act a certain way, so I'm gonna act like that over here. Um, if you play sports, like my buddies and I, we play basketball, I wanna play basketball, I need to act like you know one of the basketball players, right? So I'm gonna act like them, and when they trash talk, I trash talk like them because I wanna be accepted. Um, maybe you have several social circles, and so this social circle, you'll act this way, and that other one over there, you'll act a different way, right? And then there's like, church life, right? <laughs> and when you're in church, you use a certain specific languages or you omit some certain words from your vocabulary. I, I don't know, right? <laughs> and so you're doing all this to preserve yourself. 
You're doing all this so that you, you have a different identity for different circles, silos of your life, because by doing so, you can be accepted. You are part of something. You feel like you can survive. But here's the problem, like we learned from Agrippa. The more silos you have, the more bondage you have in your life. Your life is being controlled by the silos in your life. You can never be yourself. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't know who they are because they're acting different in different <laughs> silos of their lives, right? The chains that, he's, that, that Agrippa realized that he has, Paul made it really clear, like you, you have chains, right? Those chains comes from the fact that you're trying to please so many different groups that you can't be yourself anymore. And the chains seem to get tighter and tighter the more you realize, like, it's impossible for me to please everybody. I, I, I gotta, I, who am I? I don't even know who I'm supposed to be anymore. Like, I, I, I need to maintain my lifestyle in order to do that. I have to please all the people on all my silos and I can't do that anymore. What am I supposed to do? And then on top of that, Paul, he thinks that Paul's saying, and I wanna introduce a new silo called Christianity to you, right? And he's like, whoa, that's, that's another chain. That's like, that's, that's another form of bondage in my life. So Christ, and this is what Paul is saying is that Christianity is not another silo. Like Agrippa, when I said, do you believe the prophets? You interpreted that as, let me introduce to you another silo in your life. He's like, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to convert you right now, right? So Paul replied, this is what Paul says, Short time or long time, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. He's like, you think I'm trying to convert you to Christianity? And he's like, sure, okay, yeah. You know, one day I wish everybody would follow Jesus. Sure, I, I, yeah, yes, right? But then he says something really snarky here that really explains the differences between the two. He says, oh, I want everybody to be like me except for these chains. This is his way of winking and nudging at Agrippa saying, the way you view Christianity right now, the fact that you think I'm trying to convert you, explains to me that you look at Christianity as another form of bondage. We're introducing you another way to behave, and now you feel like you're even more chained down. So how does Paul view Christianity? Well, let's look at this diagram again. Right, there's the Jewish and Roman. Right, this is how he viewed it. He's like, Christianity is another silo in my life. What Paul is saying is this, next slide. He's saying is that, no, no, Christianity is not another silo. Christianity is a new identity that helps you understand the silos of your life. I know that's also confusing, so let me try to explain again, okay? So um, a lot of us, let's just say this room is my life. And I have all these things in this room. Like there's my sport life, there's my school life, there's my work life, there's my family life, there's my friend social circle one, social circle two, you know, there's my, uh, how I behave in front of my in-laws, or this is how I <laughs> behave uh, in front of my boss, or this is how I, you know, he says, Christianity is not another thing that you put in your room and say, okay, my life is full already, you know, from like two o'clock to four o'clock, I have a meeting here, and then from four o'clock to six o'clock, I have that sport thing, and right? And it's like, and I could, I guess from nine o'clock to 10 p.m., I'll put in Christianity. Like, it's not another thing you put in the room. The way that Paul, I mean, that's how Agrippa views it, right? The way that Paul views Christianity is, no, it's not another thing you put in a room. It's the light that you shine in the room that helps you understand the silos in your room. 
It's a lens you put on your face so that you understand the things that's already existing in your life. It's not another thing you place in there. It's a lens in which you understand the things that are already here in your life. So for example, my son started playing baseball. I played five pitch and t-ball, and that's where I stopped, like first grade, right? And I watched baseball on TV occasionally because sometimes I get bored. You know, I'm like, I can't watch this. When you're there on the field, it's actually more fun, but when you're watching TV, you're like, oh, there's a pitch. Uh, that was a ball, okay. You know, right? that's all you do, right? But when you're there, it's more fun. My son started playing baseball, and now this is his fourth year playing, and I'm like, he knows this sport better than I do. But my mind isn't just focused on the fact that my son is playing baseball. My mind is focused on the fact that now I'm hanging out with dads who are baseball fans, and I'm not one of them. I love baseball because my son plays baseball, but if my son wasn't playing, I wouldn't understand the game that much, right? So I'm sitting there and standing there and like talking, you know, I'm doing all these things with these other dads, and I'm like, okay, that's another form of behavior I have to adjust myself to so that I could fit in with this group, right? And then if I were to like, so I'm like, okay, that's one way I have to behave here, and then you know, with my family, I have to behave this way, and now at church, I have to behave another way. And so I feel like my chains are getting tighter and tighter, and I'm like, ah, right. What he's saying is this. When you look at this diagram, okay, we have Jewish and Roman and whatever else that might pop into your life. Christianity is not another thing that we add to your life. It's basically a way that we view the other identities that we carry around with us. We bring the love of Christ into our Jewish communities or Roman communities or whatever community that Paul might be a part of in the future, right? So the, the, the reason, the really interesting thing about this is we're no longer focused on ourselves. You see, the reason why we have all these identities is because we want to fit in. It's a form of survival, right? But all of a sudden, when you realize that my identity is in Christ, I'm a new creation, I don't have to worry about this stuff anymore, now your focus is, now how can I bring the love of Christ into these areas? So the reason why Agrippa is trapped is because his mission was to himself. How can I maintain this lifestyle? How can I stay comfortable? In order to do that, I have to stay popular with the groups that, I, that I'm a part of, the silos in my life that I'm popular with. But the reason why he's the one, in, he's, you know, he, Paul says that he's the one in chains, but not him. The reason why Paul feels like he's free is because Paul's mission was to love the world. He's like, you could put me in chains. I've been here for two years. But I don't feel like I'm in chains because when I'm here, I'm trying to love the people who are here. The guard that's watching me 24-7, I'm loving on him. When I'm standing before the governor, I'm trying to love on him. When I'm before King Agrippa, I'm trying to love on him. I don't feel like I am trapped. I know who I am. Christ has given me a new identity, and my identity is secure. I know that I'm already belonging to him, so I have the freedom to focus on loving the people around me regardless of who they are. So let me bring this closer to home so that it's more practical. So next slide. So let's just say these are the things in your life. These are the silos in your life, right? I'll use my own example here. So I have this square right here, parent. There's a certain way I behave with my kids that I don't, I don't behave the same with my kids as I do with you, right? And so when my kids are around, I'm like, okay, I have to behave a certain way. When I'm, um, with my friends, like if we're playing games with them or you know whatever, we have a certain lingo that we use, right? And there's my professional life. For me, I'm a pastor. I remember when I became a pastor, my friend was working at the conference office and he said, Kotz, you're a pastor now. 
you can't act the way they usually do anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, wait, what is a pastor supposed to act like? I'm like, uh, like, he's like, no, not like that, Cots. I'm like, oh, right? And I'm like, I have to adopt a new way of behaving now that I'm a pastor, right? And then there's like the son-in-law. Like when I'm with my parents, I act differently than I do when I'm with Val's parents. And I feel like I have to behave a certain way. Stan, don't worry, we're cool, right? Okay, but um, this is just an example. This is not, okay. But all these things, they start to weigh on me, right? And on top of that, now I'm going to church. I'm a Christian. Well, the order doesn't match because you become a Christian first before you become a pastor, but you know, the, the point I'm trying to make here, right? And now I have to behave a certain way when I'm at church. When somebody says, how are you doing? You can't say, oh, it's all good. You have to say, oh, I'm blessed. You know, because that's, you know, right? And instead of saying, like, no, like, oh, I don't want to do that, you say, oh, no, I'll pray about it, right? Like, <laughs> like we, there's a certain unspoken rule that we have to follow, and I hope that doesn't exist here, but I know that in other churches it might, right? But, like, we pretend, like, when, we're, when we label ourselves as Christians, we have to be a good person, and you realize you're not a good person, so at least on a Sunday morning, you have to pretend to be a good person, right? Usually you have a foul mouth, right? But at church you feel like, no, I can't use those words here. You have to be on your best behavior here. Um, I have to be generous. You know, usually I'm stingy, but in church I have to pretend, I have to give stories, to tell stories to my peers about how generous I am because I don't want to feel like I'm not a part of this group. Or you have to pretend that you're a servant, you know, like you like things done for you when you're outside of church. When you're in church, you're like, oh no, bless the Lord, I'm here to help you, whenever, right? I'm not saying that you guys are like that, I'm just saying, you know, right? But we're doing all these things because we wanna feel like we belong to this community. And this is how Agrippa saw everything. And then I would say to my friend early in the story, it was like, no wonder you feel like Christianity is heavy on your shoulders. You can't be who you are. And for some people, it's deeper than just behaving. Maybe who you are, maybe your past, maybe a secret sin, maybe your orientation, whatever it is, you're like, I can't let that leak out in church. So I have to not just pretend, I have to deny myself from being who I am if I wanna be a part of church. And so the chains get tighter and tighter and tighter. That's how Agrippa saw Christianity. He just thought it was another silo in our lives that I have to behave, I have to pretend to be a part of that group. It's like, there's no way I'm gonna become a Christian today, Paul. You think you could convince me that easily? And Paul's like, no, you're misunderstanding. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity, next slide, is not another thing you add to the pile of things you already have in your life. It's a light in which you see the things in your life differently. You don't have to worry about belonging anymore because you already belong to Christ, right? You don't have to worry about your safety because you're safe in Christ. And so now, the way I, you know, in my fake testimony, (laughs) the way that, that, that I would view this now is, now that my identity is secure in Christ, when I'm around, you know, when I'm a parent, when I'm with, with my kids, I'm not going to pretend like I'm somebody else. I'm just focused on the fact like, how can I love on my kids in the same way that Christ has loved me? You see how my mission is no longer about me, 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 but it's about them, them, them. I'm here to love on the people in my life. When it comes to friends, instead of pretending like I'm one of them, I'll just say, hey, you know, I'm just not into sports like you are, but I would love to learn more about baseball. 
You know, I would love to learn more about, you know, whatever you're into that I'm not into, you know. And hey, if you have any questions about the things I'm into that you're not into, I would love to share them with you. I'm here to love on you. I'm here to sacrifice for you. I'm here to be generous for you. In your professional life, like how can I pour my love into the people at work? We may be different. I don't behave like you, but I'm here to let you know that I'm always going to be here for you and I will always be cheering for you. If you get that promotion instead of me, I will celebrate you instead of holding a grudge. Or if you're with their in-laws, like, hey, I'm, I'm probably not your ideal son-in-law, you know, I'm not, or daughter-in-law, whatever your story is, right? But I promise to love your son or your daughter with all my heart. I will care for him or her, I will do everything I can to make sure that, no, that this person knows that they are loved without a doubt. You see how the focus is different. It's not about self-preservation anymore because Christ has already taken care of that. It's now about my mission to love the people in my world. And so he says, you think Christianity is another silo? Uh Uh-uh, no, no, no. Christianity is the lens in which you view the silos in your life. Um, When I was in seminary, there was a, a professor who focused on youth ministry. His name was Chap Clark. And he said this, he said, one of the dangerous things that any youth leader could do, or in this case, any parent could do, is we have all these identities, right? I'm sorry, can we, um, can we go back one slide? Thank you. So we look at all these things in our lives. Sorry, this, I'm going off script right now, okay? Chap Clark said this, he said, the tendency of youth leaders and sometimes parents is to realize that we have five or six or whatever how many identities that you think you have, right? And what you do is you're like, I like the fact that you have an identity in Christ. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna keep praying and I'm gonna keep nudging you in a way that starts to eliminate the other identities you have in your life until the only one that's left is your Christian identity. And he says that is so dangerous. Don't ever do that. Instead, next slide, what you're doing is you're taking, you're not siloing out the Christian identity and saying this is your only true identity. What you're really doing is you're saying in these different things you have in your life, how can we bring Christ into each one of those things? We're not here to destroy silos. We're here to help you bring love into each of the silos in your life. You're bringing Jesus into each section of your life. You're not here to eliminate them. So the question that I have for all of us is, is Christianity just another silo in your life? Is it just another thing that you have in the list of things you have to do? Do you feel like your faith is heavy on your shoulders? Do you feel like Christianity is weighing you down because you don't have time for it anymore? Because if you feel like, oh man, I have to give, I have to serve, I have to do all these things, then we've probably done Christianity wrong. And the reason I know we've done it wrong is because of what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 11, this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus isn't about adding more weight to your already busy life. He's here to alleviate it. He's here to help you understand the things in your life with a better perspective. He says, then, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. When you start following Jesus, you're not thinking, great, there's another thing I have to deal with. It's now you start to understand your life better, and now you're able to bring Christ into each aspect of those lives, making it a lot lighter for you. 
And then finally he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you look at your faith, when you look at Christianity, do you feel like it's something that lightens your burden? Or does it weigh you down? And if it's weighing you down, just keep in mind, Christianity was not meant to add weight to your life. It was supposed to lighten it. And like I said, everybody has a different story, but the one I hear over and over and over again is this perspective that Christianity is just another thing you add onto your life. And for that reason, Christianity becomes heavy. And what Jesus says is, no, no, no. And the way that Paul puts it is, I'm not the one in the chains because I understand my imprisonment and I brought Christ into it and now it doesn't feel so heavy anymore. Is Christianity heavy for you? Or do you feel it is actually lightening the burden in your life? And if it is heavy for you, then perhaps we have been looking at our faith in the wrong way. Amen? All right, let's pray.